0: Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 73 movies, one cage. Today's movie is Red Rock West from 1993. I'm Joey Lewandowski.
1: And I'm Mike Manzi.
0: And Mike, you finally got, sort of, you finally got your Cage Western.
1: Yeah, I noticed that.
0: It's not like a traditional Western, like it's not of the era like The Boy in Blue was, as you called that an Eastern. But it is, for a lot of intents and purposes, uh, Western, and sort of in, in story, in style... In cinematography, in just about everything, it's just uh, sort of like a modern-day Western.
1: Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. It's a a modern-day Western. Cage as the cowboy of today.
0: He's the outsider who enters town, and just things happen to him. This movie was written and directed by this guy, John Dahl, who has really become like a real, real powerhouse TV director. I don't know if you checked his IMDb credits, but he's directed episodes of shows, like tons of shows that I love. Hannibal and Justified and House of Cards, Terriers and Breaking Bad and Battlestar Galactica. Like, he did a couple movies early in his career and then sort of moved to TV shows. I really, really love the visual style of this, and I think it translates really well into these sort of darker, heavier TV shows.
1: Not to show my hand too much up front, but I enjoyed this movie. I really liked the way he directed it, the, the tone he laid down, the style that he did and the way he was able to maintain that.
0: All of his little touches are are nice in terms of I think it really does help like if you if you're if you're sort of competent at what you're doing when you write the script and I think he wrote it with his brother, when you write the script and you're like a good director, you know like you're writing it with your vision in mind, you're able to execute it. So He's got this thing that he knows inside and out, and I think it really sort of shows on screen.
1: Yeah, writer-director combination like that, you can sense the control that he has over this story and the movie and, and the pace. And, you know, it, it's it feels distinct. It feels like almost like an auteur work or, or something yeah. like
0: that. And he this guy also directed Rounders. And I thinking about it, like, I haven't seen Rounders in a while, but there's another sort of dark character-driven yeah. movie.
1: Well, not only did I feel like this felt like a modern Western, it almost has the sense of like a neo noir to it as well. You know, I was getting flashes of blood simple or no country for old men or yeah. things of that nature as well.
0: The movie takes place in Wyoming. Cage is this man from Texas and he just rolls into town looking for work. And so that whole western feel, you know, like your neo noirs, like your no country, but also just set in the eighteen hundreds westerns, it all sort of has that same kind of vibe which I love.
1: Yeah, and when he rolls into Red Rock, it it feels like a one-horse town, or even like a modern-day ghost town, which most ghost towns are sort of based off of the Old West villages that that were abandoned long ago.
0: The movie starts when you see Cage's legs in a car, and he's just in the middle of a road, and I was like, is this the road? Do you think this is the road from Never on Tuesday? (laughs) Like, they've driven from Ohio, out through Indiana, through Illinois... Even though they're going to California, maybe they sort of veered north a little bit and wound up in Wyoming and they drove down this road. Cage is just there. He has a new ailment. Uh, he had that cut on his hand in Time to Kill. He's had lots of teeth problems. But in this, he's got a knee issue. But again, Cage next action, he got it while fighting in Vietnam. I feel like Cage is just of the age where all of his characters are always going to be based in the origin of vietnam
1: yeah he he's in the demographic he's got the look that can play that age and that period and that well we talked about how sort of timeless his image is there's a lot of cage connections going on here right off the bat you know stranded on the side of a road he's an ex-marine we've had a had a marine before and we get a repeat here of the very first thing we've ever seen Nick yep, Cage do yep, on camera. Yep, yep. yep. One armed push ups.
0: Shirtless one armed push ups. Shirtless as well. Just like he was doing on the beach in the best of times. He is in the middle of the road.
1: Yeah, he's sort of this drifter, and it looks like he drove as far as he could before nightfall and over on the side of the road. Wait till the morning to go the rest of the way.
0: And he just, you know, what What better way to kill the time than with a couple one-armed, one-armed push-ups.
1: I just pictured them, you know, filming on the side of the road. They they got pretty much everything and they're like, alright, you know, your character's waking up. What would you do? Nick Cage, what do you do in the morning? And Nick was probably like, I do one-armed push-ups. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm wondering if he's the one that got this in the movie.
0: Cage rolls into town. He He's not in Red Rock yet. He's in a town like about 50 miles away, has a friend in town who's supposed to get in this job but it's because of his leg and because Cage... And Cage's real downfall throughout this entire movie is that he's just, like, too nice and too honest. Like, a lot of these characters he's playing been playing recently, a lot of criminals and stuff, he's very deceptive and he's a liar, but in this he's almost too honest, and that sort of gets him into trouble.
1: Yeah, he's almost the moral center of the film in a lot of ways, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, he's, he's the good guy, uh, and we'll find out, like, the one time that he sort of tries not to be himself shall we say? It gets it. That's what sort of snowballs him into all the trouble that, that comes along.
0: He misses out on this job and he asks his friend, hey, do you know of any other opportunities? He says, go to this town, Red Rock, and he he gets to a gas station, and is it the guy at the gas station that says you might want to try Red Rock? Oh, maybe it is. Maybe it is. And
1: it because uh, it brought up those feelings of like a horror film at that moment for me, where you sort of you have the guy on the outskirts of town who's like warning guy, you know, the guy is like, you know, you go going to that town, you better be careful, or you know, the harbinger of doom, right? Right. Um, and this guy totally gave me that vibe where he's like, you ought to try Red Rock, and I'm like, they're gonna turn you into Ground Chuck man. They're going to eat you alive.
0: I feel like if Cage, because the big moral dilemma in this scene is that Cage sees the register full of money. Cage only has $5 to his name at this point. He sees like the, the till of money or the register of money. It's just open and just bills are exposed and no one is around. he has this sort of debate, his internal debate as to whether or not he should steal the money. And he doesn't. And I feel like if he had, and he sort of got away with it, then this harbinger of doom would have been more foreboding because we see him as, as a, as a, as a bad guy. Hmm. But as a good guy, I feel like karma is at least a little bit on his side and he t- he does come into a lot of uh, trouble in Red Rock, but not he's not murdered. He Spoiler alert, gets out of the movie alive. So he finally makes his way to Red Rock, right? And he goes into this bar and the bartender is this guy, Wayne.
1: He's sort of an onion. Like, things about him get revealed throughout the film.
0: Cage gets to this bar that J.T. Walsh, who unfortunately died five years after this movie came out, he was in a ton of Big movies in the '90s. He was in like The Negotiator. He was in Outbreak. He was in a whole bunch of different stuff. Cage shows up to this bar, sits down. Wayne, the bartender, sees that Cage is or has Texas license plates, and says, "You're here for the job, right?" And I was like, "Ooh, ooh!" Like a wrong man plot. This is like sort of like a kind of, like, especially like in terms of noir, like you were saying before, a common, common story type but it's one that we haven't seen yet in Cage Club.
1: Yeah, and they double down on on the noir here too. He thinks that Nick Cage is Lyle from Dallas because he sees the plates, and Nick Cage is sort of just assuming that the guy is offering him a bartending job, <laughs> so they're sort of not on the same page. And then they go in the back room, and Wayne explains what he wants done. He wants his wife murdered, which is like super duper noir part two. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. that that was just the icing on the cake for me.
0: Cage is Lyle from Dallas, but actually plays a guy named Michael Williams. So he's he's a he's a hitman, and we and in the in the sense of the noir, we find out or we we quickly meet femme fatale. Laura Flynn Boyle, who is Wayne's wife, who plays a woman named Suzanne, or people call her Susie. It's a little bit, kind of, of a cage connection. It's like six degrees of cage connections. Because she was one of the stars of Twin Peaks, just from recently from Zondeli, Erica Anderson was a similar type of character as Laura Flynn Boyle in Twin Peaks.
1: And there's definitely a strange weirdo vibe about like the whole town and everyone in it, and every, everybody is sort of lying to everybody else. And there's all this facade, and there's a big mystery surrounding everything. So I definitely got you know a little. Tint of Twin Peaks here, too. It would be around this time. Its influence would sort of bleed into a lot of the work being produced. And one of
0: the big groups of characters in this movie is the local law enforcement. And what I really liked, this sort of gave me a Twin Peaks vibe, too, is that they're not incompetent buffoons like they were in Amos and Andrew, right? Mm-hmm. They're just kind of like simple, good folks who have like a small town. This whole like murder plot or like planned murder plot unfolds in front of them. And they're just sort of not equipped to handle it based on their small town experience. Just sort of like in Twin Peaks.
1: Yeah, but getting back to the ranch real quick, it's kind of cool that there's this ranch because it reminded me of Westerns, you know, and... This was definitely, you know, one of the crossover elements for me. I was like, well, this is so, this is so interesting. I re- really, like, when have you ever, like, what takes place on a ranch these days, really? Like, nothing. I could see. nothing. So, like, that was really cool to see. And also just that I liked how Cage drives a white car. It's sort of like a white horse.
0: The man in white, as opposed to Lyle Dennis Hopper, who we actually meet a little bit later, who's always in black, and he's like the man in black, like it's literal depictions of good and evil. Yeah, and he's even listening to the
1: man in black himself, Johnny Cash, at the (laughs) time. Yeah, so when they're at the ranch the Lord, he he like I love this move. Like this is the coolest thing. Like this is when I knew this movie was gonna keep sort of surprising me. I'm gonna yeah. see stuff I haven't seen before. He tells Laura Flamboyle, like, your husband sent me to murder you <laughs> You know, he, he offered me five thousand now and five thousand later and and she's like, You know what? Like I'll double it if you murder him. Just that that was like such a such a cool little twist early on.
0: And Cage was like, All right I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, your husband, Wayne,
1: he uh, he plans to have you murdered. This is a joke, right? I'm afraid not. Paid me mean to do it.
0: Well, what are you gonna do?
1: I don't know. I hate to see an innocent woman get hurt, but. an awful lot
0: of money. And that's sort of the only driving factor. Just because he's broke, he's not a bad guy. He's just in a a bind financially. I mean, he sees a way to basically get $15,000 and get out of town before anything really bad happens.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting how he's almost already trying to... Go back on his mistake in a little, a little bit, you know. Like he accepted this job that wasn't his, and then he gets to the mark and he tells her, "I'm supposed to kill you." Like it's weird. Like he's already trying to unfold the damage that he started to cause in a way.
0: The way he tries to like undo the damage that he's caused, he's just going to leave town. Like he's got his car, he's got gas money now. He's just going to get out of town. And he goes to the gas station, and I was like, "Way to fly under the radar." He spends like a hundred and twenty dollars at a gas station on just all the food in the place and then goes out to his car and writes a note to the sheriff and says hey someone was hired to kill this woman and she wants to kill him not gonna say who i am but like i know all this stuff you might want to look into it basically
1: again like what a strange move like i never would have thought of (laughs) he writes a letter to the cops about what he just got mixed up in this isn't a comedy but like it's one of those funny person moments like a character trait of his that it fully forms him a little more as a character for me like he did something like that i never would have thought of it i don't know it just seems like so strange
0: i think it just goes back to the fact that he's like a genuinely good guy right Mm -hmm. that he he sees this evil in the world and doesn't know what to do about it like he knows it's above beyond his scope of abilities who can handle it but you know the local police so he's going to write them a note hopefully people don't die by the time the cops get the note and do something about it in terms of you know his moral center he has all this money that he shouldn't have it's like being rewarded for doing a good deed hey this guy wants to kill his wife I'm going to let people know and I'm just going to take this $15,000 sort of as a finder's fee.
1: We never really talk about like his being a Marine yet. It kind of comes into play a little bit later on. But I was sort of thinking about that during this you know we know very in the beginning we find out he was a marine just you know just from his tattoo really but i wondered if like this is some type of survival skill that he learned or so, you know like is he just like is he in survival mode now like is that like what clicked in and is that why he's just sort of getting out of town i don't know a lot of things are just starting to run through my mind at this point of the movie
0: the next logical thing for him to do after he has sort of uncovered this murder plot has taken the money has written the notice he's gonna leave town all he really wants to do throughout all this Entire movie is just leave town. He wants to get on with his life, move on, and find a job somewhere else. But on his way out of town, there's a man stopped on the side of the road and he's trying to wave him down and Cage isn't necessarily paying attention and he just rams right into the guy
1: yeah I got a bit of a of a callback to Wild at Heart with the accident on the side of the road <laughs> it's just mm. like oh accidents man you just you don't stop but yeah the guy like jumped out into the road it's raining like there's zero visibility what was this guy thinking in the first place pretty sure they teach you that's not how you get someone's attention don't, don't jump don't ever jump into the middle of the street because yeah Cage just plows the guy over. Good guy again, like, scoops him up, puts him in the car, drives him back to Red Rock, and brings him to the hospital.
0: Now, here's a question for you, and I'm not sure where, in terms of the timeline, this falls in. The guy that he hit was, like, the ranch hand for Laura Flynn Boyle's house, right? Mm-hmm. But when he gets to the hospital, it turns out that he's been shot, and Cage is wanted for questioning in this shooting. But, like, was he shot when he was waving Cage down?
1: That's the only conclusion I was able to draw. I have the same questions about this that you do and i was like did someone come into the hospital and shoot him twice after his surgery i was like how did this happen yeah the guy is like looks like he's changing a tire and then is like jumping up and down so when they say they pulled these two bullets out of him i was like well that's odd or he's being set up somehow and like there really weren't bullets in this guy but there were really bullets this guy really was shot so it's, it's strange
0: there really were bullets and like later in the movie we get confirmation from the character who shot him that yes he was shot so i just don't know when because exactly what you were saying it looks like he's changing a tire he's very active in the road he's not doubled over in pain as we learn, a time to kill it's like one of the most painful ways to to die out right yeah and that's why he had, to, he had to put that woman out of her misery so i don't know when he was shot or why exactly he was shot i really don't know or maybe in this guy's awful awful life he uncovers this great plan right about who these people in this town really are gets shot twice in the stomach tries to get out of town then his car breaks down he pulls over the side of the road to change the tire sees help coming not only doesn't get help but gets creamed by this car (laughs) so i mean like that's sort of like a slapsticky kind of sequence of events but that i guess that could have maybe
1: happened It's a bit much, but I'll tell you what, in the realm of, like, sort of noir fiction, there are indestructible characters, you know? (laughs) They're like these guys that can just take a beating and keep on ticking, you know? So maybe he's... A reference to that type of character like this guy who has been shot twice hit by a car and still won't die you know he's hanging on until he can see the guilty party go to jail i don't know because what you said is the only plausible chain of events really i mean unless there was two guys in the hospital and by coincidence the guy nick cage hit with a car they bring him to the hospital, and then there's the guy who was shot twice in his stomach in the next room, and they pin that on Cage to sort of do a rope-a-dope and you know get him locked up and out of town.
0: I don't know. Like I don't think that necessarily makes sense, but like my <laughs> sequence of events doesn't really make sense. And ultimately, this is a character. Like, he never has a line, right? Like we never see him in the movie, and he survives this whole thing. So like, it's just weird. Like this is such a really genuinely good interesting movie this is like so muddled like i wonder if there was like a scene that was cut out but like things don't necessarily add up i don't think they don't add up because it's meant to be intentionally confusing the editing or the writing or whatever here just kind of dropped the ball
1: yeah i agree with that because the rest of it is really tight and really well done. And, you know, you can see, I don't know, at least I felt the time put into it to make it not seem like a coincidence that this guy Wayne is everything. You know what I'm saying? Like all the different yeah. things like that. Like So it felt like a well-crafted story and script and everything. So I, I don't know, something just got lost in the shuffle about about the farmhand
0: cage brings this body that the guy of the guy he hits to the hospital uh, once again is sort of weighing his moral moral dilemma moral decisions is about to leave the hospital when the doctor comes out and says hey I need to talk to you and they call the cops and the cops show up and the cops are sort of again in over their heads like we need to bring the sheriff in on this one and that's when the sheriff shows up and of course like it's a huge bombshell it's sort of you sort of expect it, I guess, in terms of the movie, but like not in terms of this movie. Like It's set up so well that the sheriff is the guy who was also the bartender who paid Cage to kill his wife that's such a huge moment and so surprising genuinely surprising
1: i'm not even kidding when the sheriff walked into the hospital with his hat covering his head i wrote down here comes dennis hopper <laughs> and because uh, i'd never seen this movie before I right thought dennis hopper was gonna be like the badass sheriff or something like that and then he like lifts his hat up and it's wayne and yeah i was like oh shit like you're, <laughs> you're so screwed you know the movie the movie worked on me totally i believe wayne tells the deputies that he'll take him in he'll drive him downtown and book them and you know he'll get it he'll get them all processed and everything like that but instead he drives them to the outskirts of red rock and pulls over and like places the handcuff key on the dashboard and it doesn't say anything but nick cage knows like immediately it's like i gotta make it look like you escaped before i shoot you to death situation so it's almost like a standoff right it's almost like a shootout an old west type deal like very slowly he grabs the key and like starts to unlock it And then when Wayne pulls his gun, Cage, like, dips out of the car door and kicks the car door at Wayne's hand and stuff. Yeah, it's a really cool, like, little escape maneuver he does. He must have learned that in the the Marines.
0: What I like about this scene and a lot of things throughout this movie is that the characters in the movie and in the scene in particular sort of know the tropes kind of of the genre. Like, he knows what he's getting into. Like a lot of Western movies, a lot of characters get framed for like fake escapes, right? And then they—that's how the cops justify killing them. And it's—it's kind of cool that like Cage realizes this. It shows his intelligence as a character, but also it respects the audience. That's not this thing that you've seen in every movie. It's like the guy has seen every movie and knows how or knows what's coming and knows how to handle the situation.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point too. You know, and and it just speaks volumes to the screenwriter as well, where he's just not holding the audience's hand. And, you know, he respects the audience and gives them the benefit of the doubt and everything. And, you know, yeah, that was really interesting. I hadn't thought of that, but it totally falls into place watching this movie.
0: The movie sort of features cliches, but like features them in a way to give you a sense of where we are and what's going on. But then plays on them in a way that like few other movies have sort of done, and especially you know few other movies have done this well as, as this far in Cage Club.
1: Yeah, even um, Laura Flynn Boyle as the femme fatale, like she's not exactly what you would think of as your like her behavior in this film isn't exactly typical femme fatale, but she's got the look. And towards the end, she almost grows into that character in a sense. You know, the more she's on screen, the more dangerous like it's revealed that she is by the end.
0: Yeah, she's almost like the the, the biggest bad. Guy of them all but we'll get to that in a little bit so as cage escapes from wayne he's limping down the highway he almost gets hit by a car and sort of the ultimate reversal of fate out of the car pops the guy that mike thought might be the sheriff but dennis hopper himself what the
1: fuck are you doing (laughs) my car broke down where i don't see a car
0: it's just over that ridge over that ridge huh Well, you're one lucky
1: son of a bitch, aren't you? Huh? If I hadn't had my brakes just done, I'd be picking your brains out of my radiator. Bob, wow. listen, I hate to ask you this, but do you think you could give me a ride? No, I don't
0: know. You aren't dangerous, are you? <laughs> no. I just... I just need
1: a ride. You can drive me off at the nearest gas station. Okay, cowboy, you got yourself a ride. Um get in. <clears throat> so if Nick Cage is the white cowboy the man in white, then Dennis Hopper as Lyle from Dallas is the man in black here. And by that I mean like not only is he dressed all in black, <laughs> but he's in a black car listening to Johnny Cash, the man in black, and he even bears sort of a resemblance to Johnny Cash at the time. He's based his look off of the man in black for real.
0: He gave me the vibe just kind of of Michael Madsen in Tarantino movies, just like this likable, real cool, gruff looking bad guy. You know is a bad guy and you know you're not supposed to like, but it's He's so just charming and entertaining that it's hard not to like him.
1: Yeah, you definitely get the sense that he's dangerous, but as long as you sort of keep everything friendly, you know, and, and, like, you know, keep it all light with this dude, he'd probably be, like, a really good friend to you down the line somehow.
0: The two of them, Cage and Dennis Hopper, quickly bond, because they both find out that they're former Marines, so they got that Semper Fi connection. Cage just wants to get out of town, he's like, hey, just drop me out of my car... I just want to get out of here. I just, you know, my car broke down up there. I was just walking around. And Dennis Hopper's like, no, 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 no. Let me buy you a drink. Like, I owe you a drink. You're a veteran. I'm a veteran. And Cage sort of realizes the only bar in town is this one owned by Wayne. And he's like, no, 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 I'm good. Yeah, Dennis Hopper
1: really gives him, like, uh, like that's what I'm talking about, where, like, if you just, if you stay on his good side, he'll probably be nice to you. Because when Cage, like, refuses a beer, you, you see, like, this look in Dennis Hopper's eyes, like, I've killed people for not having a drink with me before and things like yeah. that
0: he's like Are you? am i not good enough to have a drink with you is that what you're saying cage is like no again just too nice cage could essentially like tell this guy to screw off right and get out of town and assuming he's not going to kill him on the side of the road his niceness it, it's again to a fault and he gives in and he goes into this bar where he fully expects to see the guy who is just about to take him out to the field and just put a bullet in his head is going to be behind the bar but luckily enough for cage He's not.
1: Yeah, the bar is actually, like, kind of swinging and crowded and great because Dennis Hopper sits down and he's like, tell Wayne Lyle from Dallas is here. And it's just like, oh, my God, Cage is like, oh, geez, I better really get the hell out of (laughs) here before my best friend's dad from Rumblefish kills me.
0: Cage in bars, just like Cage in New Orleans and Cage in Las Vegas, don't get along. He was in a bar in Wild at Heart when Bobby Peru convinced him to rob that bank, right? Like, he always gets himself into these bars into these situations where, where just nothing good comes of it
1: yeah he should just stay away from alcohol in general because a few movies <laughs> down the line it gets him into some serious trouble for real
0: <laughs> they sit down and lyle's like you know i'm lyle from dallas and the, the bartender's like oh wayne's not here but i can call him if you want he's like that would be great and so cage knows he needs to get out of there in a hurry so excuses himself to the bathroom and wayne shows up and Cage sneaks out the window, this is one of the scenes in the movie where it's just, like, genuine, like, real tension. And you really don't know whether he's gonna get caught here and he's gonna have to fight his way out of a corner again, or if he's gonna get away... And then if he does get away, what is that going to mean for him and for his character?
1: Yeah, this is one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Uh, a lot of stuff kind of happens real quickly. Like his his new best friend, Lyle, just became like his new worst enemy. He knows like he's got like not one, but two guys after him. And he knows how crazy both of them are. So I love it. And it's so great, like how he's like hiding on the roof too. This just feels like a Western again, you know, something that would happen in one of those films.
0: So he, he sneaks out of the bathroom through the window and climbs up to the roof. And I got a kind of a, you know, racing with the moon or a birdie vibe. Like, he spent a lot of time on roofs in his career so far. Like, there's no options, because, like, they're in this western town. This seems like the only building within, you know, walking distance. But there's a truck there delivering beer, and Cage takes a plank of wood, extends it from the roof to the top of the truck, and walks away and sneaks and lays down on top of the truck, and escapes just as Dennis Hopper has the idea to go up and check the roof.
1: Like I love the ingenuity of this. I mean, where did where would the screenwriter even come up with this idea? Like it's just so unique. I you know, I mean, I could, you could truly I've never seen this in a movie before. Like it definitely feels like I was saying like it connotes a western vibe to it, you know, especially since Dennis Hopper's like wearing a cowboy hat and Nicolas Cage is wearing cowboy boots and they're yeah. after each other, but the whole idea of like balancing on the plank and walking, oh man, just like walking from the roof to the hood of the car and everything I I I just loved it. I don't know. It was just really good imagery, and like you said, like, genuine
0: tension. I feel like I've seen this kind of thing in other movies or TV shows, but I think anything I've seen it in came after this. I can't think of any situations or movies or whatever where this happened that came before this. It just shows how, like, the the ingenuity of John Dahl, it reminds me of, I think we, we might have talked about it on a previous podcast, it reminds me of, like, the Breaking Bad writers who... Have an idea, like, they're gonna get somebody into a corner, gonna get them to, like, this real, real tough spot, and then they have to figure out, like, they have to, to prove to themselves, basically okay, how is he gonna get out of this?
1: You know what even makes it better is, like, it's not even truly, like, a, an escape. Like, <laughs> a minute later, when the trucker is driving down the road, Nick Cage, like, makes him aware that he's on the roof of his car and, like, flags him down and tells him to pull over. And the guy has a gun. Like, he's a mean dude. Like, he's like, I yeah. ain't scared of you, man. You're crazy being up on someone's truck like this. Like, you're gonna get yourself killed. Like, Cage is just right back into hot water, you know? Like, his escape plan. Like, now he's got to escape from his escape plan. But the guy actually turns out to once everything is sort of straightened out i know cage gives him this story about getting away from his old lady which yeah just like the worst lie but again like the trucker that's all he needs to hear cage is in trouble he's not going to tell him the truth it's like we said like even the truck driver has seen all of the tropes and all the movies like he doesn't need cage to tell him anything else he knows he's in trouble what the hell are you doing on my truck sorry boss i didn't mean to scare you hey
0: I look scared to you. What the hell are you doing on my truck? Well, I was just trying to ditch my old lady. You were what? Yeah, she caught me in the barn. I wasn't supposed to be there. She started sprouting horns and shit. Bullshit. Bullshit. Look at that uncontrolled response to bullshit. I hate when that happens. Yeah, I don't like it either, but I just had to get the hell out of there. So you come out and climbed up on my truck? Yeah. That's kind of stupid, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but you've never met my wife. Spooky. (laughs) Again, like, once again, and I, I keep bringing this up, like, this is a moment where Cage, like, he's too nice of a guy. Like, this truck driver will have no problem just driving him out of town. He's got a problem with his old lady or whatever. He'll just get him out of town. But instead, he feels compelled to save Laura Flynn Boyle. So he has the trucker drop him off at her ranch and say, Hey, that guy that I pretended I was before who was hired to kill you... Well, he's in town now, you better get out of here. He sneaks into her house for the second time and she's I think she's already packing like the, she knows that there's a hit out on her life and she just wants to get out of town and he sneaks in and she freaks out. He's like you got to get out of town now. Like I know you're 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 oh, thinking yeah. that you have a little bit of time, but he's like you got to get out now. In the middle of this conversation, Dennis Hopper shows up to the house and lets himself in with the key. It's realistic like Dennis Hopper is clearly a professional hitman. Like, he's not messing around. He's going to go do the job. He's going right there, and it just adds to the scene that they're basically in a race to get to Laura Flynn Boyle's house.
1: Yeah, I love the idea that um, that Lyle from Dallas, like, gave up on trying to find Cage and was like, all right, well, back to, like, the first priority. Like, let me go yeah. to the ranch and take care of the old lady, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, and then when he shows up, doesn't he get brained with, um... What is that? Anyway, it looked like, um...
0: It's like a statue paperweight. Lara Flynn Boyle, Cage tells her to hide outside, and then he goes into her like master bathroom and starts running the water and Dennis Hopper walks up, and I thought he was going to like like he's gonna hit him on the head with it, but instead he just like chucks this heavy statue at Dennis Hopper's head and knocks him out. It looks like it's way heavier than should be thrown, and it's kind of I guess a little bit a moment of humor in this otherwise pretty dark movie. Normally I think the guy would just like club him a darker guy or a more evil guy might just keep continuing to hit him until the guy bleeds out. But instead, Cage, I guess a little in over his head, just throws the statue at him and just knocks him out.
1: And I also love his sort of instincts, too. Like, he doesn't think twice, and, and he knocks out Dennis Hopper and sort of gives him one to one to grow on, right? Like, he just knocks him in the face with a fist just to make sure he's out cold. Yeah. He's not a murderer, so he's like, come on, we got to get out of here before this guy wakes up. And I'm thinking, like, you know, if it was me, I'd be like, kill the guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, get rid of this man. But again, like, uh, his morals, like, come through, you know? Again, like, he knew he'd slipped up that one time, and it caused all this trouble. So he's definitely doing his darndest uh not to cause any more problems
0: Yeah, and then they go yeah.
1: to escape in the jeep and story of his life jeep's out of gas
0: right the fucking story of my life they pull over to a gas station and he's getting gas and he's got like 80 bucks left the the 5,000 from wayne the 10,000 from larth boyle it's all in the glove compartment of his car which is not with him anymore he's like We're, we can still get out of town i still have 80 bucks in my name I'm like let's just get out of here and they get to the gas station. I buy sort of the stupidity of this moment because Cage's character is so grounded, but they get to this gas station, and Lamar and Boyle just starts walking off, and he's like, where are you going? And she's like, oh, I'm thirsty. I'm going to go to the bar.
1: Yeah, well, she is playing him. We don't know exactly yet. He thinks she doesn't deserve to be killed by her husband, when in fact right. she kind I'm of... Not, I'm not one to judge, but by <laughs> the movie standard, she kind of does deserve to die in a way. Yeah, she's definitely like pulling the strings on Nick Cage at this, and she's like, let's go to the bar, and she starts to sort of seduce him, you know? Like, she wants to yeah.
0: compromise him. She does want to compromise him, and then in the next scene, they do compromise each other. As they're walking out of the bar, Cage is like, I'm okay to drive. Like, let's just get out of town. She's like, I got other ideas. And just in the background... Maybe a little bit of product placement, but I'm okay with it. There's just a Comfort inside, sign. She's like, let's go to the Comfort Inn. And so they go there and she comes out in this lingerie teddy. outfit. It's a yeah. Teddy. Like,
1: where, where does she wear, she was not wearing that under her like equestrian clothes because she's wearing like these clothes like she was out riding a horse all day. She cannot wear that under those clothes. do they? Does,
0: no, but she I mean, she was packing those suitcases. Okay. So I guess this is just like, you know, one of the most important things to pack when you're going to be on the lam is just sexy underwear. I guess in case you have to seduce someone.
1: She tells Kate why Wayne wants her dead or at least her version of the whole story. Something about she came into like this inheritance and Wayne is used to spending and she sort of tried to give him a an allowance of some kind and yeah like he's gonna offer to get the inheritance money we talk about how like the characters are sort of one step ahead of the tropes of the film and this was like the one time where i felt nick cage's character should have been like she's a liar she's lying like she's not like because i saw through i sort of saw through that right away
0: but i think he's too like honest and trustworthy and too nice of a guy to really question her like to him she's just a damsel in distress the wrongful target of this murder plot And he's going to believe her because, like, why wouldn't he believe her? Like, she's, as far as he's concerned, the victim in this scenario.
1: What she does next is sort of out... I thought that was kind of out of left field, too, but I liked it. She wants to go back to Red Rock. Surprise, surprise. Cage just cannot get out of Red Rock. And she wants to steal the money back from Wayne, right? Like, the five or ten grand?
0: She wants to get out of town. She wants to go to Mexico. She's like, now that it's just us two, like, let's make a clean break of it. Let's go to Mexico. But for us to do that, we need money. But lucky for us, I know where that money is. And in Wayne's office, there's like a safe below his desk. I think it's a half million because eventually Dennis Hopper shows up there. He's asking Wayne where the $500,000 is. But what actually is in the safe is just like five dollars or $10,000. There's like there's money there, but not nearly what she thought. And she's like visibly disappointed when they open the safe and find that this is not the make-a-new-life money that they thought they were going to find.
1: Cage is sort of fine. He's like, all right, whatever. Like, let's just get out of here. And she just is the one who's like, no, no, right? Like, there's supposed to be more. And, and then Wayne is back, and they, I loved it. They, they go and they hide in a closet, and for one of the only times in a movie i just i do not mind people hiding in the closet like it just worked for me for some reason and also
0: for one of the only times in a movie the people hiding in the closet don't get caught
1: this is the part i had to watch twice because this is sort of like an info dump his two deputies arrive
0: right and
1: they say we found this on the guy in the hospital who had two gunshots to the belly and was hit by a car. This was in his pocket. They unfold right, it, right. and they're like, we called the FBI. You should come down with us, Wayne, or should I call you Kevin? And they all sort of leave the room, and that's when... And you're
0: like, what's going on? Yeah,
1: and it's like the next big twist, and I was like, oh, man, like this is so awesome.
0: Yeah, so the deputies basically arrest Wayne and bring him downtown. And Cage and Lara Flynn Boyle walk out of the closet, and Cage goes over and picks up this note, and it's a wanted by the FBI, again, to go back to the Western vibe and the Western motifs. It's a want, basically a wanted poster. Mm-hmm. Lara Flynn Boyle and Wayne, both of them, wanted for stealing $1.9 million. And she immediately starts a backpile. She's like, wait, 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 wait. I can explain.
1: Yeah, she's like, it's him, it's him, right? <laughs> like, it's all him. It's not me. I just went along with it.
0: We were married, and I loved him, and he just he did this, and I wanted to support him. But I'm not a bad guy.
1: And so the plan, I guess, what they did was they stole this money. They moved to – or they went to Red Rock. Did they murder the sheriff and the wife? Did I hear something about Unsolved mystery? (laughs) It was like a cold case about a murdered couple or something. What I thought that they did was they came. They set up shop in Red Rock. They bought the election – He set himself up as the new sheriff. I guess he never thought he was going to get caught.
0: There's really no reason for them to get caught, because they roll into town. I guess the first thing they do is probably buy the bar, win over Goodwill, buy everybody drinks. He's now this beloved hero, gets elected sheriff. As far as they all know, he's just like a good guy who just knew the town, came in with money, and just like wants to basically make the town better. But for them, it's this town out in the middle of nowhere, essentially, you know, hillbilly folk who don't know the FBI's most wanted and it's a place that they can lay low and just sort of have like a relatively normal life I love that like I don't
1: know what it is but there's something about the way everything sort of fell into place in this moment just reconfirm my like of this movie
0: <laughs> so as Lara Flynn Boyle is backpedaling and trying to defend herself to Cage they're really sort of their, their first kind of fight right yeah. and she has the plan and Cage is not the same page as her in terms of the plan
1: there's supposed to be a half million dollars in that safe he must have moved it We can find it, Michael. We can be together. We can go to Mexico. Fuck Mexico! There's no way you're gonna get caged to Mexico. He's not. He's not gonna. He he likes Canada. <laughs> if he needs to lay low somewhere, <laughs> and then Lyle shows up. It's like just every turn you take, like he's there. It's you know, like he's definitely just like waiting. <laughs> like I don't know. He's like this creeper, Grim Reaper type guy who's like roaming around the town.
0: The Grim Creeper. There you go. Cage and Larfleeze Boyle go to leave, and they open the door, and I think basically he says surprise, and like punches Cage in the face, and knocks Cage out. And then, like, two and a half hours pass. Dennis Hopper learns the full story, and now he's got a new plan in town. He's no longer here just to make, you know, 10 grand or 20 grand killing this woman. He's going to find this 500 grand wherever it may be and he's going to leave town a lot more wealthy than he thought he was going to be. I love this scene too,
1: because I call it the Lyle brings the audience up to speed scene, (laughs) because it's what he does. Like, in case you just haven't been paying close enough attention, or missed something, or were confused, like, he comes in and he's like, let me get this straight. (laughs) He's like, you guys stole all this money, came here, took over the town, yada yada yada, and now that's what's going on? And he's like, I'll tell you what, there's going to be a new plan, and he's like, now that Lyle's here, Lyle wants half.
0: And Lyle's First step of the plan is to go break Wayne out of jail, because Lara Flynn Boyle does not know where the cash is, but Wayne does. So Wayne is sitting in a cell with his two deputies. Again, I want to stress, not incompetent, just simple, regular small town police officers. Deputies. Lyle goes to an abandoned house. So he's not like a completely evil guy. He's not causing too much unwanted destruction. But he goes to an abandoned house and sets a fire, which draws one of the deputies to this house to put the fire out
1: only one cop is left to guard wayne at the police station and then it's sort of like the big i I imagine this is like the biggest thing that happened to red rock in like a year you know so yeah like everybody goes over to the fire at the at the shack and that lets everyone else sort of sneak back into town undetected
0: like i really wonder if they should be more aware that like something fishy is going on because there's a fire They just found out that their sheriff, who I guess they had come to know and love, is not the man he says he is, right? And I wonder if all of this attention should put them on high alert, or if this sort of, like, clears their quota and makes them say, oh, I guess this is all the craziness, like, we can sort of go back to our normal vigilance, because there's no way more crazy things gonna happen right now as soon as they
1: realize something fishys going on like um, the deputies get the letter that Cage writes in the beginning yep. of the movie like they come in and they even show the letter to Wayne and at that point they're like look we called the FBI people are coming exactly. and the way I saw it was like it's gonna take like a day to get to Red Rock because it's out in the middle of nowhere you know so even if they do call for the FBI it's gonna take a while and it's like you know they really can't handle this situation, even if they wanted to, right? Like, they're they're yeah. just not—they're
0: not equipped to do it. Yeah. So there's just the one poor deputy left alone to guard Wayne. Dennis Hopper shows up, comes in all pleasant, asks like a simple question. Then the deputy looks up and he's got a gun in his face, and Dennis Hopper blows him away. Yeah, he just like
1: executes him as careful as he was with the fire setting you know he's like made sure to set a secluded fire and not hurt anyone he truly like lost all those points where he just murders this poor kid
0: because he's this professional hitman he knows that he's not gonna be able to break this guy out of prison with this guy here he's he just wants to get things done as quickly and efficiently as possible he knows the fire's not going to rage forever. The quickest solution is just to put a bullet in this guy's head.
1: Yeah, and they are dealing with high stakes now, you know. It's like, we're, we're talking about, like, a million dollars, and, you know, you start throwing around that type of money and trigger fingers get a little itchy.
0: Because we have to say that he's not a good guy. Like, he's a hired hitman, right? He's, he's killed people before. Like, this is not going to be the first person.
1: Yeah, it's just it's misleading so much because of, of, like, what a nice guy he presents himself as, you know? Like, he's the grinning devil. He's dressed Justin in black and all that, but like his persona, like if you met him, like you're we saying, like he kind of comes across as like a happy-go-lucky type of character. So it's even scarier that he is so ruthless. He'll shoot you with a smile on his face.
0: My favorite thing about his character it goes right along with what you're saying is that he calls Wayne wainer like Weiner. I just love that he's got this like cute little nickname. That he holds all the cards. He has all the power. <laughs> he's just gonna keep like humiliating this guy in sort of even just like taking his name away from him i just love yeah. that little touch
1: yeah and he's the one who who calls uh, nick cage's character cowboy the whole time
0: the four of them now cage and laura flynn boyle are handcuffed in the back seat or they're tied up with hand ties while dennis hopper goes into free wayne but while they're in the the, the police station laura flynn boyle tells cage hey my keys which are in your back pocket have a pocket knife on them why don't you cut yourself loose and like let's get out of here And so he frees himself, and he's about to get out when Dennis Hopper comes back out. And it's like this this moment of almost redemption, almost escape, cut short by professionalness. And again, if he had taken the time to knock this guy out, tie him up, not only does he have to worry about the deputy coming back, which happens right as they're driving away, but he also has to worry about Cage and Lara Flynn Boyle out in the car, possibly making some kind of escape too, right? And so Cage is outside the car, like they're gonna they're gonna make an escape, they're gonna get away. And Dennis Hopper's like, "What do you think you're doing? All right, get back in the car. We're gonna drive." <laughs>
1: it's like okay. a repeat of what happened at the hospital. Nick Cage is sort of about to be home free or sort of escape, and then at the hospital, like the deputies show up. But here, it's like he's about to, you know, take off, and Dennis Hopper shows up and he's like whoa 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 buddy like like, where are you going and I love this because he doesn't like shoot nick cage you know he doesn't need him for anything but he he makes him the driver he's like you bet you're driving now now that your hands are free
0: if you're gonna have three hostages or if you killed nick cage and have two hostages it doesn't make the most sense for you to be driving like it makes the most sense for someone else to be driving that you can control exactly what they're doing and still have your hands free in case things get out of hand so they're driving away and there's a little bit of a racing with the moon moment like they come to a train Mm -hmm. they're not running alongside a train but they're driving alongside the train and it's kind of a little bit of a racing with the moon moment. And eventually, they get past the train. They sort of hop the tracks and drive away. And it gives Dennis Hopper a little bit of a rush. He's like, oh, man, you did a great job back there.
1: That sort of is pumping up Dennis Hopper as, like, now he's going, like, crazy mode, right? Like, he's yeah. like putting his foot on cage's foot on the gas pedal making him go faster and like screaming and hollering and he's having a great time you know and the more they're terrified like the happier he seems to be i don't want to say it's like maybe a little out of place but when they do jump in front of the train and it's sort of like a dukes of hazard slow motion shot i don't know it was impressive and stuff but i mean they definitely jumped that train right like yeah it looked real and i mean maybe that's why it sort of felt a little out of place to me because it's like the one major action shot of the whole movie. All of a sudden they're racing this train and, ra- and you don't think they're going to pass it and then they do and it's like total deuce of hazard time.
0: Because that brings up a good point. Like This movie does a lot on what's probably like a pretty low budget. They have a lot of really great sets but they don't have a lot of huge action pieces. It's like they have the money just for one big thing and they're like, all right, well, this is what it's going to be. Getting toward the end of the movie, we're getting toward the scene where there's the final confrontation. This is where we're going to put the money in. this is where everything's going to happen.
1: Yeah, and it definitely sort of ch- is it's a good sort of accelerator to get you into the third act, especially like since the third act is going to be in the middle of a cemetery.
0: And as they're driving away, Dennis Hopper says, you know, where where are we going? Where is this money? Wayne still not really tipping his hand, just says keep driving, I'll tell you when to turn. But as they're driving, Dennis Hopper's getting a little bit power hungry, a little bit crazy. He starts like mocking and taunting Cage. Which seems like a dangerous idea to mock the guy who's driving the car that you're driving in, but hey. What do you think, Mac? You want a drink? No, thanks.
1: Scotch ain't good enough? Oh, I knew a guy like you once. Thought he was better than everybody else. That's it, ain't it, Mike? Huh? Yeah. You think you're better than me, don't you? Why don't you just blow me? Oh, oh you think you're real hot shit, don't you, Mike?
0: Huh? Hey, <laughs> hey cowboy. Who's got the gun? Cowboy.
1: I almost wondered at a moment if this was supposed to sort of represent Cage's inner psyche. Like, inside his head is, like, this voice screaming at him, you know, like, all the things Dennis Hopper is saying, like, you're not good enough, you don't deserve it, like, I, you think you're so hot, like, you think you're the man, and all this. And I kind of got that at just in this moment, that never, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to imply that Dennis Hopper's character doesn't exist. <laughs> there is, like, a figment of his imagination. But just in this moment, like, during, you know, we're coming to the climax, I don't know, it kind of dawned on me that they both came out of wars, they're both Marines, and they both took, like, these completely opposite paths in life, you know? So yeah. you're almost seeing, like, this could have been him, you know? I don't know. It was kind of an interesting moment. And and it just gave me more to watch. You know, instead of just a scene of the guy, like, berating Cage, it just kind of added a little more to the scene for me.
0: And so they eventually do get to that cemetery that Mike was talking about before. Marvel and Boyle's just there tied up. Wayne's there tied up. And Cage digs up, because his hands are free, uh, digs up this one grave where there's like a lockbox with the money in it. He uncovers it and he pulls it out. They have Wayne go over to open the box and to get the money out and Dennis Hopper's got a gun on him and he's like, I'm not gonna open this box until you toss that gun. I'm not I'm not an idiot. Like I I want some kind of, you know, satisfaction that you're you're not just going to blow me away as soon as I unlock this thing.
1: An interesting moment of trust between thieves, right? Dennis Hopper is sort of like, well, we're at the end of the line. We're going to open the money box. You know, I'm going to get my money. Everything is sort of very much assured that he's going to get what he wants. So it was kind of like his hubris, right? Like he he put the gun down and, you know, he really shouldn't have put that
0: gun down. Wayne opens the box and pulls out the money, but he also pulls out a gun and holds the gun up to Dennis Hopper forces Dennis Hopper to give him the keys to the car, but as he's getting into the car, Dennis Hopper, in a real sort of badass moment, drops a knife from his sleeve. Like, I guess he just had a knife up his sleeve the whole movie. Throws the knife at Wayne's neck and hits him in the neck, and Wayne shoots off a gun, which alerts the neighbors. Wayne was, I guess, because he still sort of loved his wife, or loves his wife, even though he wants to kill her, he's telling Dennis Hopper not to kill these guys because there's local people around who are going to hear the gunshot, and call the cops and just cause trouble. But when he gets hit in the throat with a knife, he the, the gun shoots off. And we see, like, an elderly couple in a cabin nearby. And we're like, oh, it sounds like there's gunshots. So, like, we better call the sheriff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, this is just another great scene here at the climax is just i love it this is nuts because i had just seen something similar to this recently uh talk about westerns i recently watched the big gun down with lee van cleave a guy brings a knife to a gunfight just like this and there's sort of like a standoff one guy's got a gun one guy's got a knife and it kind of goes down in a similar situation and that's all i could think of was like dennis hopper brought a knife to a gunfight and it worked out for him
0: (laughs) yeah he knifes Wayne in the throat and Cage, like, runs off, right? Dennis Hopper goes to track him down, and they get into a huge fight. Cage ultimately comes out on top. They're wrestling, and he thrusts Hopper's body onto, like, this war memorial. Like, it was sort of weird that the war veteran was done in by war right he gets impaled on a bayonet on the statue like i don't know why it's so sharp on the statue but one war veteran killed the other with a like a testament to the war gone by yeah
1: i just loved how it all came down to the two soldiers at the end yeah you have the one marine from vietnam and the one marine from lebanon and they both have lived through like crazy shit during their service, and it's come down to this hand-to-hand combat, the older generation against the newer generation, you know? And yeah. Like, who was trained better, or who's more ferocious, or just, you know, who just wants it more? And yeah, they kept kind of cutting to a shot of that little war memorial, and I was like, oh, someone's gonna, like, get hit with that thing, or something, and Dennis Hopper gets impaled. And I love when he's impaled how he's like, get back here! <laughs> like, I'm not <laughs> done with you yet!
0: Because you think it's kind of game over for Dennis Hopper, but it turns out that he's not done yet that cage comes back sort of victorious but lara flynn boyle has knocked out wayne she's the only one conscious there and she pulls a gun on cage and he's like hey like let's calm down like in, in a weird sort of sense we were just partners like let's get back to that it's good that she has the gun drawn on him because dennis hopper comes up behind cage and she shoots and kills him.
1: Yeah, he comes back for his final scare, sort of like Freddy or Jason. you It's yeah. <laughs> like the monster in the horror film. Yeah, yeah. that was great. And then
0: yeah, he gets pumped full of lead. She puts like six shots into him. Seems like overkill. I mean, she's, she's just gone through this thing. This is a guy that her husband paid to kill her. It's this very emotional moment. She puts all the bullets that she has in the gun into this guy. And it seems like overkill but it also seems justified. It's a good thing that she did that because not too long after this, that exact sequence of events ends up saving Cage's life. Yeah, her
1: being a little rambunctious with not counting her bullets, you know, it kind of comes back to bite her. And it, it's sort of a, something that's come up before, uh, an empty gun saving the uh, Nick Cage character in a way. Vampire's kiss and then also time to kill, like a, a, a empty gun came into play at some point.
0: Like she just puts all these bullets into him and the cop's, sh- show up. Cage's like, hey, we gotta get out of here now. And once again, there's a train and now they actually pull a racing with the moon and they're running alongside the train and they get onto the train. Cage, I think, is just like in such pain from being choked out by Dennis Hopper that he just passes out for a little bit. And he comes to and Lara Flynn Boyle once again has a gun drawn on him.
1: Yeah, she just, you know, she's just too greedy. She just wants it all. She
0: sees a way for her to escape her husband, escape this hitman, and leave the scene... Again, and sort of set up a new life with at least $500,000 to her name. And her
1: cue to Cage is a jump, right? She's like, just jump off the train. You're going to jump, the cops will catch up to you, and you'll take the fall, and she'll just keep riding the rails.
0: She's not going to like save his life, but she will not kill him. She'll let the law deal with him. He just goes over and he picks up the money and laughs at it, and he's in this position of power because he, I guess he counted the shots that she put into Dennis Hopper. Does he know that she has no bullets, or at this point... Does he just not care?
1: So I thought he knew only because he's a Marine and he's been keeping... You know what I'm saying? Like, he's probably been keeping... He could probably see if a gun's loaded, maybe. I don't know. I had the sense that he knew it was empty. That's... I don't know how he could have known or anything like that, but I didn't know it was empty. But I got the sense after she fired and nothing happened that he was pretty confident that nothing was going to happen to him.
0: Because he's never really been suicidal in this movie, but it also, it makes you think, like, if, like, it, it gets to a point where, like, there's just one thing after another, like, nothing is going his way, and it's almost like, well, like, I just can't, like, this is what my life is going to be from now on, I just don't want to deal with it. It
1: could just be that I don't care at this point anymore, if you're going to shoot me, shoot me, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to take this money and, you know, you're not going to have it, kind of situation.
0: And in the ultimate power move, she's just shooting all these, like, empty rounds at him like nothing's coming out and he just walks over the side of the train with the bag of money and just lets it all go. He tells her to jump and just pushes her out of the train, and he's off to start a new life somewhere else. He
1: grabs her and, like, throws yeah. Mama from the train, you know? <laughs> like, he's like, get out of here! <laughs> that was aggressive, but to me, it was like, well, he's he's finally seen through all of her bullshit and all that, you know what I mean? Like, she's not a good person. She's shown her true colors, so she, yeah. so it's totally fine. She's gonna survive. He, he knows he can throw her off a train in such a way that she'll maybe just have a couple bruises cage is finally going to leave red rock forever (laughs) I have a feeling he's never coming back to this
0: town because there's one visual thing that we sort of touched on but never explicitly said that he leaves this town probably four or five times this movie that this town has caused him nothing but problems he made that one bad decision to say he was somebody else all he really wants to do is leave the town and they show the sign now leaving red rock and then without fail Five or ten minutes later, he's seeing the sign, Welcome to Red Rock. Like, he just can't escape this town.
1: There was definitely, like, one minute or two, somewhere where he was drawn back to the town for, like, the third time, where I was actually wondering if there was something supernatural going on here. Like, is he just not allowed to leave Red—does no one ever leave Red Rock
0: alive? (laughs) He's going to be destined to live the rest of his life. However long it is, whether it's a couple days or the rest of his years in this town. But luckily for Cage, has his little bit of money, says Adios Red Rock, heads on out.
1: Adios Red Rock. And that pretty much does it for Red Rock West.
0: I don't know that he ever we ever returned to the Western genre. It satisfies the itch for a Cage Western. I mean, I would love to see him as, you know, the man the man with no name or one of those like the old real true gritty westerns but this is a nice little substitute in a career where we didn't know that he was necessarily going to have any westerns.
1: Yeah, I was very surprised. I mean, right in the beginning, he puts on that white shirt and it's sort of got the western stitching or what you typically might see on what's sold as cowboy shirts, you know? And, yep. and I was like, oh, cool. We're getting like a little touch of it here, you know? He's from Texas. He's wearing the boots, He's, you know? So you're right. Like, uh, it was good to, you know, even if it was more of like a modern western, it was still nice to... To see him sort of navigate like the western genres, sort of a lot yeah. of the tropes of a western.
0: Absolutely. So next up on Cage Club, we have Deadfall, and we will hope to uncover the mystery of why the DVD case and the DVD slipcover <laughs> have completely <laughs> different images. That is just so
1: hyper confusing.
0: But go to cageclub.me to read all of our reviews for all these movies that we've talked about. You can listen to all the podcasts on there. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter. All sorts of fun stuff. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. We'll see you next time on Cage Club.